0: welcome to the Copenhagen Legal Tech Lab podcast, where we address innovation and the law from three angles, people, technology, and business. My name is Nick Houghton, and today we're here at the uh, Faculty of Law at the University of Copenhagen, together with Miguel Harlan, who is co-founder and product owner at Estate. Estate. I always stumble over your name. I apologize, Miguel. <laughs> well, what is it? You guys are a really talented bunch of people. What do you guys do?
1: Well, Nick, thank you for having me. Uh, We're really good at making convoluted data operational
0: in everyday work life. And you've done this in a bunch of different, uh, several different places. You know, you did it first as a consultancy, you've done several products, you've got a state now. Who does, what's the industry that a state does this for and what do you do more specifically?
1: Now with the state, we are specifically in commercial real estate um, we found that that is an industry with a high need of transparency and insight when uh, trading uh, assets in the commercial real estate space, mm-hmm. but also with uh, a whole lot of convoluted data and with a very low amount of tra- transparency.
0: Well, so. I'm seeing like lots of paper that's like some of it's typed, some of it's not typed. I see like ink pen over the years... Ay caramba and all kinds of little attachments and easements are a big thing for you guys, yeah. yeah. So, so what's, what do you do for the customers? What do you do to the to the material? Well,
1: the customers uh, they get a platform, a data platform, uh, from where they can can hit up any property in the country uh, and get all of the data that they need.
0: And, and for now, you're in Denmark.
1: And for now, we're in Denmark. Yes, Currently So, like when
0: you say all property on a all data on a property. Mm-hmm. Where are you getting it and what kind of data?
1: We integrate to uh, loads of different uh, public data sources so 15 different uh, public data sources where we get uh, a lot of information about sort of the structure of the property the ownership the transactions a lot of uh, that kind of thing Uh, and then also we uh, started actually partnering up with uh, private companies that have interesting data sets that they want to operationalize uh, and monetize for our clients also so we have this audience of uh, customers within commercial real estate that we then can serve unique uh, data sets uh, to to make them get an even better foundation to to make the decision making on
0: all right Uh, your clients what's the breakdown on your clients and i'm assuming you've got lawyers involved Uh, but and then there must be other people too so who what's what's the client base look
1: like yes we definitely got lawyers involved uh, and quite a few of them uh it's it's all of it is based around the uh, people uh, transacting uh, commercial real estate on a high level Uh, so that would typically be investors um, investment managers or asset managers in in real estate investment companies
0: so, so when we're not talking let's say re, you know residential you know like single no. unit homes a house and apartment we're talking apartment blocks and yes. commercial property
1: yes definitely uh large large transactions uh, like 50 million kronos plus uh, often okay. often more um these larger transactions often for pension funds and, and uh you know companies like like that,
0: well, I and mean then all their brokers and all the people that get involved.
1: Yeah, exactly. So uh, the people actually making the, the decision on buying the real estate is obviously a big part of of uh, our customers, uh, but they also have a lot of uh, different types of advisors. Uh, one of those advisors being uh, the the legal teams, uh, typically from from larger law firms, uh, and those advisors are also part of our uh, customers.
0: All right. Why did you pick
1: this industry? Well, there's multiple reasons for it. Um, it's an industry with a lot to be done better. <laughs> uh, it is one of the oldest industries in the world, uh, and the legislation and the pr- principles, like around the work, kind of also shows that a little bit. Right. Uh, yeah, at there's the s- room for
0: improvement, right? Somebody. A week or two ago, told me that the, the real estate industry has the, uh, has the software it deserves. Thought, ouch. Uh, but, so there's room for improvement. And there's a lot of money. It's a huge asset class.
1: It's the world's largest asset class, yes. Uh, and also, uh, it's something that, frankly, impacts all of us. Like, we all have mm-hmm. to have a place to live and work. And, um, like, doing well within real estate means a better place for all of us.
0: All right. And an opportunity to build a nice business yeah, Definitely. While awesome. improving <laughs> the quality of all right so it's this um yeah one of the things we always talk about in, in this space and a recurring theme in this podcast is, you know, is getting the lawyers to actually use the software you know there's a lot of great tools out there but word and excel work great and uh you know look i've got a screen for each on my desk um i had this, you know, implementation, you know, getting this into the market. How's that going? Because, because I mean, you guys are in this, we've been in this game for a while, and it's not uncommon that you sell five licenses to a company, or to a law firm, and then one gets activated or zero get activated. You know, uh, how are you getting people to use it, and are they using it, and how's that going?
1: Yeah, it's it's definitely an area where there's a lot of, you know, it surprises a lot uh, how much work there's to be done there, uh, but but. I think over the last, just the last few months, uh, even we've gotten a lot better at activating uh, the users. And we see, uh, we often see that as soon as people sort of, you know, get the gist of it and there's a ball rolling, they mm-hmm. use it more and more and more. Um, and we, we also see that in, in our like performance metrics on, on the product, um, but it's really getting over that first sort of understanding uh, and getting started and seeing the value in your own context uh, once you get over that hill, uh, it's a lot easier to to get the ball rolling. So we emphasize a lot of uh, our time in in you know getting people onboarded, being there in the early uh, phases, having people like sit down with me in the room, try it out, mm. uh, and and try some uh, try some cases out that they know and are comfortable with themselves. Yeah. Um, I had a, a recently a, a, a lawyer uh, say to me that um, he was a very conservative person and he said to me and to the rest of his colleagues you guys should try it out because it actually works and what he meant by that is essentially he was skeptical for the longest of times but after he had tried it out and tested it like with other uh the traditional sources so to speak uh, he had found that it just works and it's just you know fast and gives the better overview so it takes a lot of time
0: when well, I, like, I when I met you guys, uh, you guys worked. You guys were uh, on, under the umbrella of why. and I uh, had like it was why spelled with a lot of whys, which <laughs> I thought looked weird. And then you said, yeah, you know, but there was a very good reason because it was you know you need to cast, keep asking why to get down to why people need something. And, um, and they, you know the lawyers are perfectionists, and those of us that are let's say come from the software innovation side, we're looking for good enough, and so there's an actual you know, philosophical crunch. Um, With your product, you're dealing with data. How good? And you guys are specialists at making data accessible. How good did you have to make the data for the lawyers to say yes, right? Because I mean, an eighty percent solution isn't good enough. You can't fake it till you make it with legal documents. Yeah. Are you? How do you get everything out? How do you prove to them that, or how do you get them to buy into this as a labor saver so that they, you know, where. Do you have the full 100% of all the data that's out there or, or like the missing piece? How do you how do you judge any gaps? How do you deal with the gaps?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. good good question. I don't, I don't think that it's uh, quite possible to get 100% of the data out there, but mm-hmm. we can be striving uh, for it. I mean, especially uh, getting it
0: from that many different sources. Uh,
1: yeah, exactly. And uh, the problem is also that the different sources have, you know, different methodologies and uh, definitions and... Mm-hmm you know, structures of the data and it has to be, you know, working together, all of it. Uh, I think to answer your question, I, I feel like it's important for us to, to uh, you know, ch- choose the the data sources and, and sort of the data points that are being used the most often uh, and being activated the most often. And then there might be outliers once in a while yeah. uh, where you, you know, cannot use the state for it right now. Uh, it might come in the future though.
0: But, but they, they're satisfied that it's you cover enough of the data that they're getting what they need.
1: Yes, yes. And that's the the key part, uh, essentially, is that we have to be able to, first of all, we have to make sure that what we show is correct. Uh, that's a big part of it, that we uh, cannot have things that are incorrect. Mm-hmm. And by correct, of course, I mean correct compared to the public sources.
0: Yeah, so correct, like it's, a, it's an anchored representation and it is a complete representation of everything exactly. out there. Exactly. So that's
1: one thing, Uh, another thing is definitely you need enough information that it gives you a tempo advantage to go with us uh, as compared to going to like these 15 different sources, you have to be able to go in and with like a few clicks, get an overview.
0: And how the value that you're creating for your customers, the, uh, the age old conflict between time saved versus time built. Uh, the, the billable hour, the tyranny of the billable hour, uh, and the partnership structure. How are you creating value for this? We, what, what do you, how do your customers see this?
1: Yeah, this is definitely also an inter- interesting ca- question that we encountered a few times, especially with more conservative uh, organizations. We try to optimize for a more effective commercial real estate industry in like uh, Denmark, but in the future also like the world, um, so we believe that if we can make sure that transactions um, are being, are happening you know faster with less legwork uh, and at higher precision, then we create value for the industry and we believe that uh, the advising customers that are currently billing ours, they share that vision with us. And if they don't share that vision with us, they probably will share that vision with us uh, soon because, Uh, the the uh, advisors that, you know, work to optimizing the transactions will win more clients.
0: Right. So you're looking so the advisors you're looking at are more the ones that are doing fixed price deals and are looking for deal volume versus, obviously, it's an hourly rate.
1: Yeah, I mean, yeah. So there's there's an incentive alignment that is happening slowly in the the legal uh, segment right now which is some of the standard uh, services uh, turning more into uh, fixed price services. Yep. Um, and, and, uh, and also in some cases uh, there's a lot of focus on what kind of value do we actually create for this uh, account so that they will come back, you know, right. uh, for the, for the next deal. Uh, and so what we're trying to do is really to align those incentives so that the uh, advisors, the lawyers get the same kind of incentive structure as the, um, the the end customer.
0: You spoke of this, and uh, we talked earlier, uh, before we, before we started talking here, about uh, how this you know, the biggest asset class that there is, and that um, it's a slow asset class because, for example, one of the tools you have is is a search tool for easements. is the right now the process is so slow from identifying a product product uh, property you like to analyzing it to Making a bid to closing the sale, and that we've seen a similar development. I see with financial, with other financial instruments, whether stocks, bonds, whatever. That that the speed of transactions has led to almost an exponential increase in the number of transactions. And so you see, you guys, as a step, a piece in that.
1: That's exactly exactly what we are working towards. So uh, we we see that there's no real reason that commercial real estate shouldn't be traded much more. Uh, you, you know, speedily, freely, as you see with efficiently, uh, efficiently ex- exactly as you see with uh, transparently and accessibly, uh, oh. <laughs> uh, as you see with uh, stocks. Yeah, um, it's it's something that that would you know create a lot of benefits not only to the players in the market now, uh, because there definitely would be a lot of benefits benefits there, but it would also potentially open up for more players in the market, because yeah. you know the uh, entry barrier to be able to uh, transact here would be much lower if you don't have to spend six months on one single transaction that's right. a big risk to take
0: right. lower the cost of due diligence and you're going to get more absolutely exactly listen I'm mean, 15 minutes ran away from us um, so Mega, thanks for joining us here at uh, the Copenhagen Legal Tech podcast and um, this is Mikael Heiland co-founder and product owner at the state uh, I'm still Nick Horton. Thank you for listening to the Copenhagen Legal Tech Lab podcast. Michael, thank you for joining us. Thank you, Nick. This is Copenhagen Legal Tech Lab podcast at the Faculty of Law of the University of Copenhagen. Brought to you by the highest foundation. And don't forget to subscribe and follow us on social media and your favorite podcast platform.